this is the Angry GM, and Happy New Year, for this is the first mostly monthly live chat for the year 2023, nope, 2024, for the month of Checkuary 2024, 2020, wait, no, now I did that wrong, Checkuary 2023. Um, so, wow, okay, that probably dated me. So, a long, long time ago, when I was an irate youngin, um, there was a show on HBO called Not Necessarily the News, a sort of sketch comedy spoof news program. And on it, there was a segment called Sniglets. And Sniglets, it was done by a comedian. I promise this relates to what I just said. Okay, it was... It was created by a comedian, uh, Rich Hall. I just had to look it up. So comedian Rich Hall created this segment called Sniglets, um, which basically he was adding words to the dictionary that um, he felt there should be words for. Obviously, it was comedic. Um, and I think the tagline was, any word that is not in the dictionary but should be is a sniglet. And of course, many of these now are dated and have to do with things like um, payphones and written checks, as in the month of checkuary. So checkuary was a word he coined. It was the month that began on December 31st, and it ended when you stopped writing last year's year on your checks. So it is the month of checkuary 2023. And now that I have thoroughly killed the frog, I can go ahead and get started with this uh, mostly monthly live chat for the month of January. Um, so, yeah, so um, a little bit subdued tonight. Um, I'm doing this on an off night, and uh, I, um, so we have a little bit of a smaller, more intimate crowd, but of course, the most awesome people um, in the, the Discord are the ones who showed up for this one, obviously. Oh, uh, all the most awesome people, and also it looks like Logic Dragon showed up. I'm sorry, that that's that's just because Logic Dragon um, actually hit me with a question that is going to be a nightmare. And also I had to pick some random person because of the joke, which now I've killed that frog too. I'm doing great. Okay. <laughs> sorry, Logic. Thanks for being a good sport. Uh, oh, Logic just left the Discord and ended their support of me. <laughs> Okay, no, but seriously, though, um, yeah, so Happy New Year to everybody. It is the start of a new year, um, and it is, uh, so this month has already started to be difficult. Um, obviously, it, it was a somber end to last year, what with all the things that was going on, and so I, I kind of am considering this month a recovery month. Um, both you know, uh, physical health and mental health wise uh, recovery month um, because of ongoing, uh, though not serious or life threatening. Uh, the, the heart mystery is ongoing as to what it was that was affecting and might still be affecting my heart. Um, and then I did spend the first 
week and a half of the new year sick with a flu that I or something sick with a respiratory virus that I caught from going home and visiting my family. Um, and it's, you know, and it's just overall been a very difficult time owing to everything that I went through over the last four months or so. Um, so that being said, I posted an update last week, um, a very uh, somewhat optimistic update where I said, yeah, everything's going to be back on track. And, you know, I, I am getting things back on track. It's not like I'm just laying in bed and, you know, hiding in the darkness and um, or that kind of a thing. And I'm not in any danger of going to that point. Um, it's just taking me a lot longer to do things than it used to. Like writing is a real struggle right now just because uh, I'm still exhausted. It is difficult to focus and concentrate. And unfortunately, that did lead to me, uh, along with a couple of other things, um, my schedule got terribly disrupted last week. And then we had a blizzard um, here in Wisconsin, which I had some power and internet um, outages and things of that nature. The point is, I missed the deadline for last week's article. This is not going to be an ongoing thing. This is under control. Um, but I did post an update today on the website explaining that. And as part of a strategy going forward, um, as I get myself back to, um, back to where I was, I am going to start posting very short weekly updates on the website, which is just, you know, a short, like a, a Monday check-in to just let you know what I'm working on, where I'm at, and as things, as I kind of slot things back into being on schedule, I can kind of give status updates. And also, that also makes me accountable um, because then I can't just ghost and, you know, be like, oh, I missed this deadline. And now I'm a, now I can't say anything to anybody and I have to kind of hide out, which is something that I did start to do toward the end of the year when I was missing deadlines and things were stacking up to the end of the month. I would just kind of hide. And I, you know, I didn't want to admit it. I don't like to let people down and I don't like to let myself down. And that has been one of the hardest things that I've been dealing with is getting over the sense that, um, as I go through a very normally normal recovery for health and emotional issues that all happened at once, um, it is perfectly normal to fall behind and not perform at 100%. And it does not make you weak or a bad person not to do that. And I don't have to hide from people and I haven't let myself down and I am not failing myself. I am just, you know... I just have to be a little more gentle on myself. So that's it. But in the meanwhile, that doesn't mean I can't hold myself accountable. And so I will be doing weekly updates as I go through this recovery period. One of the other things that I'm going to, I'm going to just note um, that has been affecting me more than, more than I expected was um, as a result of one thing and another, like, Obviously, the holidays, bleh, I did not actually provide the subject of that sentence. So let me try that again. Um, I haven't been running games regularly. Um, so as obviously the holidays always cause a bit of disruption in every gaming group's schedule, 
And on top of that, um, the wintertime always carries problems with illness and weather. Um, but on top of that, obviously, a lot of other stuff has been going on. And that has also affected my ability to sit down, just the time I have to sit down and prep for games and also my perfectionist streak and my struggles with, you, you know, um, you know, if, if the, I'm trying to f figure out how to phrase this. I'm opening up a little bit. This is sort of the, this is the honest heartfelt portion and then we'll get to the fun stuff. But, um, so I'm a perfectionist. I hold myself to extremely high standards. Um, and I have extremely, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. It is good to hold yourself to high standards um, as long as you are also reasonable with yourself. Um, and, you know, one of my campaigns has actually been suffering a lot because of my high standards, though, because I have been trying to throw together basically these perfect adventures for a perfect campaign. And then when I sit down and can't, and I'm not putting out what I think is measuring up to that level of success, um, then I sort of get upset, shut down, and then end up, you know, running up against the, the deadline for, well, now I have to run the game unprepped. And with everything else going on, that has led me to canceling a lot of games for, um, for my one group. My other group is, has just been canceled by holidays, sickness, and weather issues here in Wisconsin. So the, the point of, of that is that I just have not had a very regular gaming schedule for a couple of months now, really. I've been trying and it's been sporadic, but it just hasn't been working out. And apart from feeling really, really guilty, because I, again, I have this trouble letting my players down. Um, the other part of it is I lose my passion for gaming when I am not gaming. And it is a lot harder to write about gaming when I am not gaming. So it affects my article quality um, and the length of time it takes me to write. So, I mean, fortunately, both of my gaming groups are scheduled to meet this week, and we have no further blizzards, and I am mostly ahead of the game on my game prep for the, the group that I've been struggling with now. Um, so, you know, hopefully that... The, because, obviously, the solution to this... The, the solution to anything is... The, the solution to procrastination, because that's really what this is. Most procrastination is actually based on stress responses, um, like being a perfectionist and feeling unable to live up to your standards or struggling to the point where working is painful and not being able to push yourself through it. And so when a lot of procrastination ends up motivated by the avoidance of, of stressful projects. Um, and the only way to beat that procrastination is to just actually start beating that procrastination. That is, um, it, you know, the only way to overcome that the stress response is to just, you know, start doing stuff. And the more you do stuff and the more it works out okay, the better you, you, you know, the more you convince yourself you can do it. Anyway, 
So long story short, or long story slightly shorter, because that's this is now taken up. So let's see, I spent two minutes ruining jokes, and now the next 10 minutes um, basically doing the woe is me, here's how I'm screwing up, but it's okay kind of a thing, and and then some life advice about how to overcome procrastination. So let's put that crap aside now, okay? And the point is, weekly updates to keep myself accountable while I recover from things. And I also have a small team of folks that have volunteered to help me out um, in the Discord community um, on a more regular basis, just um, to, again, keep me accountable um, and help push me forward through this. So, all of that said... There are a couple of fun things that I want to talk about now tonight before I turn over the floor to the Q&A. Um, over the holidays, I travel. I went home to visit my family and I got to hang out with my old gaming group. This is a group, I ran games for 15 years, pretty much every week for these people. Um, they were my bestest friends and I left them when I moved away from New York. Um, and so every time I go back to New York, it is... Um, great fun to get together with the old gang and at least try to find some time to play some games, even if I can't run D&D. Um, and my cousin got a new board game that I really want to talk about and spread the word around, and then it's related to something else I want to talk about and spread the word around. The game is called Heat, Pedal to the Metal. Heat, colon, Pedal to the Metal. Um, it is a car racing game, okay, um, and it is, it has basically worked its way into my top five favorite board games. Um, it is an absolutely awesome game. If you get a chance to play it or pick it up, I highly recommend it. Each player plays a race car driver. Um, and the way the game works is that you have a hand of cards um, and using those cards, you select a certain number of cards on each turn to set your car's speed. Um, and then, you know, each, each car advances by its speed um, and obviously you play out a race. And if that's all it was, it would be a really boring game. But the game has... The, a lot of neat mechanics that capture elements of car... Well, I don't know. I've never raced cars, so I don't know. But it has a lot of neat mechanics that seem to capture the thrill of car racing, um, including the ability to push your engine um, at the risk of it later not performing as well. Like you, you basically you you can overheat your engine, so you can choose to take certain actions to like to to gun it or take boosts or or whatever, um, and then you have to add these heat cards to your hand, or, or to your your draw pile. And as you draw them into your hand, they take up valuable space in your hand. And then in order to get them out of your hand, you actually have to shift into a lower gear to let your engine cool down. So you're kind of always trying to keep your engine, uh, you're trying to run your engine as hot as possible without it overheating, and you're trying to manage the heat. 
Another thing is handling is a very big issue. There are curves on the track, and each curve has a maximum speed. And if you take the curve too fast, you run the risk of losing control of your car. But you can take curves slightly too fast, um, again, if you're willing to push your car a bit, a bit far. So there's this, you know, you're, when you're going around the curves, you're trying to thread the needle of keeping the speed as high as you can without actually losing control of the car. Um, there are positional mechanics too, where if you are not in first place, you can actually draft other racers by landing in the right position behind them to use their slipstream to get a boost and then swerve around them. On top of that, there is a campaign play where you can then gradually upgrade your car with deck building mechanics. I, the, the game is phenomenal. It's very well done, and even its information communication is very good because each player has a dashboard, a little cardboard board where you put your draw pile and your heat card pile um, and your stress cards and stuff, and it's marked with icons that walk you through the, the segments of the turn, and the players take their turns somewhat simultaneously. Um, that it, or you work, you know, you work through some phases simultaneously, and then the car in the first position works through some phases, and then the second position, third position, yada yada yada, and and what have you. And what you find is a, a lot of the games we played, the races mostly came down to the wire once you learned how to play. If we, you, there was a little bit of a learning curve where it was possible to like really screw yourself by getting into an early accident and never recovering. But once you learn the basics and learn how to play, the races always seemed to, to be really close and there was a lot of switching position back and forth, um, even though we had groups of people who had very different levels of experience with the game and had figured it out to different degrees. So, uh, Heat, pedal to the metal, check it out. And conveniently, um, conveniently, um, th it is available on a website called Board Game Arena. And I don't know if I've ever talked about Board Game Arena before, but it is something that Alyssa, uh, the Discordian, uh, uh, the Angrion, uh, Frenemy for Life moderator, Alyssa, designer of the official character sheets for, um, for uh, Fall of Silver Pine Watch, that Alyssa, she turned me on to it. Um, and it is a web-based, um, it's, it's a website where you and your friends can play board games. Um, and it has a great many numbers of board games available. Um, you can have a free account and which, um, limits what you can play and how much you can play. But as long as one person has a premium account, um, which I don't think is terribly expensive, uh, then they have the, you know, the full-on game, and then they can invite other players into it. I've been using it now to play games with my gaming group sometimes on the nights when we can't get together for D&D, &D, um, and also to play games with my home group, who I was just talking about. And I discovered that Heat Pedal to the Metal is actually on there, so if you want to try it out, um, it is there. And I'm even going to say further... Um, if you are on um, Board Game Arena and you want to go ahead and friend me, 
in case there's ever the possibility that we might play a board game together one evening, um, then by all means, go ahead and search for and send a friend request to the Angry GM, all one word, based, it's my screen name, the Angry GM. Um, and I don't know if you can send a message when you make a friend request. Um, so you can't tell me who you are. But, um, you know, just send me a friend friend request. I will definitely add you as a friend. I don't have a whole lot of time to play, but, you know, it'd be occasionally cool to just have a board game night with some of the angry ons, especially some of the, the, the frenemies. Because um, uh, I haven't done nearly enough um, community-type events. Um, and, man, I really I do want to get back into that, too. And that kind of leads me into the, the next thing or in a roundabout way to the other thing. Um, because I, I was running community events for a while. I think, you know, like a couple of, two years ago, I ran um, Fall of Silver Pine Watch for like six tables of six. And I did the Angry, the, the angry Games Jeopardy thing. And then I totally uh, dropped off running events other than these mostly monthly live chats. And I really want to be more involved and do more stuff with the community, especially less passive stuff like me just talking into a microphone. Um, although that's also fun. I also do like just talking into a microphone because, and I like attention. So, um, so in point of fact, I ended up doing um, a video game stream for the first time in a long time last night, just casually, because I was sitting down at my computer playing a video game and noticed that there were a bunch of people on the Discord. And so I just, um, uh, you know, threw open my Twitch channel and said, hey, anybody want to hang out? Because I've gotten totally addicted to... Okay, so here's the funny thing. Right before Thanksgiving, or right after Thanksgiving, actually on Black Friday, um, there was a Black Friday deal on PlayStation 5s. And I've been thinking for a long time about getting a PlayStation 5. And I finally, I happen, things happened to work out in just the right way, some bills came in cheaper than they than I expected, and I was able uh, and I was going through some refinancing and some really difficult financial times right then, and then everything sort of just fell into place, and I found myself with uh, a little bit of extra money that I wasn't expecting, and it was a pretty bad time because Allie and I had just broken up. And it, it was a bum time. So I decided to treat myself and I bought myself a PlayStation 5 so that I could finally play Demon's Souls. That was the game, by the way. Also, um, Return to Moria was coming two weeks later, which for some reason got me excited. But I haven't even... Anyway, so I bought a PlayStation 5, bought myself Demon's Souls, started playing it very briefly but then got sidetracked by playing uh, Metroid Prime Remastered and then the Super Mario RPG Remaster. Um, so, uh, and then I got back from my trip to New York and decided um, to start playing retro games. So that, you know, because that's what you do obviously when you have a PlayStation 5. Um, is you boot up your Nintendo em or your your uh, your your retro emulator um, Raspberry Pi thing, and you plug it in and play that on your TV instead, of course. So 
I discovered, because there's a YouTube channel I absolutely love called SNES Drunk. S-N-E-S Drunk. Um, he does very short five-minute, or averaging about five-minute reviews of retro games. Um, he's he's about my age, and he 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 grew up. Uh, he's he's actually four years younger than me, I think. Um, but you know, we basically grew up at the same time playing the same games. But he goes back and he reviews a bunch of old retro games and talks about which ones are overhyped and which ones are underhyped. And he he is like one of the most wholesome. YouTubers ever. He is not like an angry video game nerd guy. He is not a, um, a, a a critic or a game insulter or anything like that. He just talks about things he likes. I mean, he talks about things he doesn't like too, but he's nice about it. And he always ends every video by saying, thanks for watching and have a great rest of your day, um, which is just so nice. So I highly recommend him. He's just a fun thing to watch for five minutes. But he did a whole playlist on um, improvement patches, as they're called. This is a long story now that I realize. There is a journey here. So he did a whole thing on what are called improvement patches. And improvement patches are changes people have made to retro games to mostly just to make quality of life improvements to them or fix perceived issues, or in some cases, make minor changes to them. Okay, and so, um, he, uh, you know, things like getting rid of slowdown and flicker so that the game, you know, plays faster, um, or in some cases, retranslating games that had terrible translations um, or fixing issues. So I got started, like I was playing Secret of Mana, and I, he, he reviewed a couple of improvement patches, which was a, a relocalization patch, which basically patched up the terrible, terrible translation of Secret of Mana, which, by the way, was not the localizer's fault. There were a bunch of technical issues that caused the translation of Secret of Mana to be terrible. Um, and also that fixed an issue with the game scrolling because it would only scroll when you were at the very, very, very edge of the screen. And being an action-adventure game, um, uh, basically a top-down uh, hack-and-slasher with RPG elements, um, the fact that you couldn't make the screen scroll until you were standing so close to the edge that enemies would spawn on top of you was a giant pain in the ass. Um... So he got me started on improvement patches. Now, I've never been one of these people that's into ROM hacks or whatever. I like my, my retro games, and I do like a challenging game. But I'm never going to be a speedrunner or a Super Kaizo world player or, you know, like I, I want to be the guy player or anything like that. I'm just not that kind of guy. I, I play games casually for fun. Um, but he turned me on to the world of Legend of Zelda Link to the Past randomization. Okay, which is where you take the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past game and you run it through a randomizer and it shuffles the locations of all the items in the game. Um, in so, now, it does it in such a logical way as to generate a winnable game. 
and it does so like it's there's actually a lot of settings this is complicated i'm not going to go into the whole thing but there are you, but there are settings so that you can tell it what you're capable of to get it to generate a ROM you can play, a, a game you can play that is randomized. So you can tell it um, that basically, look, I'm a beginner. I can't do all the speed running tricks. I, I can't hack and use use invincibility frames to, to pass through walls and get treasure chests. I shouldn't. I can just play the normal game. Just juggle the shit around so that I have to, you know, figure out and disentangle how to get around the world with the wrong sets of items um, in totally normal ways. I have become really, really addicted to that. And so I was having so much fun with it that last night I started a new random, uh, I guess that was my third, they call them seeds because um, as a seed is a number that is used to basically initialize a random program um, so that like if two people want to make sure that they have the same random output from a random program, uh, they can put in the same seed and end up with the same result. So they call these games seeds. So I started a new seed and I said, you know what? I'm having so much fun with this. Who wants to hang out and watch me play uh, Link to the Past Randomizer, and I'm going to talk about my whole journey with discovering they exist. And the thing is, like, there is a giant community around this shit that is, it is awesome that it exists, um, and it has its own language and its terminology, and there are people who race it and do all sorts of streams about it, and then there's the speedrunners who, you know, they, they'll, like, generate the, these seeds that are, like, un totally unplayable, and then they'll glitch and beat Ganon in three minutes and be like, well, I'm done, I beat the game in three minutes because I used three different glitches to basically skip to the ending screen, um... And I am not any of that. I just like to play the game, and I know it really, really well. Um, I, I know the game really well. I don't play the game really well. Like, if you ask me, I can tell you what string of items you need to access pretty much any dungeon just from having played through it so many times. But does that mean that I can actually beat uh, blind the thief with only seven hearts and a non-upgraded sword. Um, now there are other randomizers too. I have to make that make that note. And I did try once in the past a Super Metroid randomizer, and I bounced hard off of that. It just didn't do it for me at all. Okay, but there is something about Link to the Past very specifically, and the way this these randomizers are put together, because I'm also not the sort who goes in for this, this randomized jet, okay? I don't do procedural generation or anything else, but there is something about the unique combination of Link to the Past and randomizing and the way these randomizers work that just are like a chocolate-covered crack for my video gaming brain. And I think it is because I have a very, very strong familiarity with running through the game. I am a completionist. Uh, a, yeah, I'm a hundred percenter sort where every time I sit down to play Link to the Past, I have to get every item in the game. But it's the same too. Like if I play Super Metroid or if I play Metroid Prime or whatever, whatever game I play, I have to get everything. Hollow Knight too. Every time I replay Hollow Knight, I have to get 
every item. I can't speed through it. I can't skip anything. I have to get everything. And so I end up with a very intimate knowledge of where everything is. And then each time I play, I am better and better at plotting efficient routes through the game. So one of the things I discovered is that my normal startup sequence for Link to the Past, whenever I boot it up just to replay it, because I replay it like once a year at least, um, I've beaten it, you know, you know, at least a dozen and a half times. Um, but um, every time I boot it up, I've gotten down to following the same sequence of getting all the overworld stuff before I go, go to the Eastern Palace and whatever. I discovered that the route that I was following through the game just as my normal route is the same route that is the standard route for random randomized racers and speedrunners um, for their startup, you, you know, their startup sequence of how they get everything. They, you know, they go through the, you know, Kakariko Village and then, and, 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 you know, along South Shore and all of that. Um, A Link to the Past also is, again, top five. I don't know. Yeah. So I will never say I got to I got to move on to Q&A, but I did what I, I wanted to mention this. But I got to say this. I never identify a thing as my favorite anything, okay? Instead, I will express three levels of delight at something, okay? So, if I like something a lot, if it is something I really, really like, I will say, this is in my top 20 favorite movies or in my top 20 favorite books or my top 20 favorite video games. Um, if I really, really like something, I will classify it as this would fall somewhere in my top 10. And then the absolute best of the best are my top five favorites. Now, if I really sat down and think about it, I think I have about seven top five favorite video games. Um, where, you know, I would say, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely Hollow Knight is in my top five favorite video games, or Link to the Past is my top five favorite video games, you know? Um, so I probably have about seven of them, but it's just so that you understand that it's, because I can't put these in order, and sometimes they, they drift up and down the list, and if you pin me down and said, so what are your top fives? I couldn't name them at the time. But then when I'm talking about a game, like if you got me talking about, say, um, Metroid Prime, I would say, oh yeah, you know, uh, Prime is definitely, um, uh, from an objective standpoint, Prime is in my top five. Um, that's where it belongs, even though I like Metroid Prime 2 Echoes better, even though it's a worse game. So there, anyway, this is all, this is just the mentality of how I rate stuff and what my favorites are and things like that. Anyway, the other thing I want to point out is that um, I used to stream video games on a regular basis uh, just for fun because I enjoyed it. I like playing video games. I like talking about video game design while I play them. And I feel that a lot of analysis of video game design has informed a lot of my writing. Um, so I'm very good at taking lessons from video game design for you know, things like tabletop RPG design. Um, I would like to get back into occasionally streaming 
video games, and I will post about that more when I do it. Uh, I am going to shift from Twitch to YouTube, though. I do have a YouTube channel. I posted a link to it last night. I posted a link to the wrong channel because of the way Google accounts works, because I have two different users connected to the same email address. One is my my personal YouTube account where I just watch videos for funsies, and one is my official Angry Games account where um, I... In- did intend, you know, where if I ever do video content, it will be posted there. But also, that's where I also, you know, subscribe specifically to channels I think people who are fans of mine would like to watch. I haven't done much with it yet, but if you followed the link uh, that I posted last night and subscribed to my YouTube channel, go ahead and unsubscribe. You weren't meant to do that. I posted the wrong channel because... Google accounts is a nightmare and I never get it right. Um, I will be putting forth stuff on my YouTube channel. I do, by the way, one of the things I would like to do before the year is out is switch to doing Ask Angry as a 15-minute video segment periodically rather than um, articles. Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. I think it lends itself to a video format, and I have the opportunity to start doing it later in the year. So that's something that I want to start doing, and I definitely want to move to doing some video content. I would like to eventually at least stream one game, one tabletop RPG game, even if it's just a three-session thing, even if it's just me running people through Fall of Silver Pine Watch or something, or running a group of people through uh, Slapdash or whatever, I would eventually like to do that. Um, but again, that's something that there's a time commitment involved and I really, really have to be careful right now of over committing myself because I'm still not quite meeting the commitments I've already made because I've already made some promises like one article every week to be published by the end of the week instead of four articles published all in the same week at the end of the month, which I cannot do. So I need to make sure that I'm meeting that commitment. Obviously, there needs to be a deliverable slapdash product um, as soon as I am able to get that out. Um, That is another promise I have made, um, And I have promised that to people who have actually supported me on the basis of that promise. And that needs to come out too. And the angry hacks, those do need to start happening. So until I can get those three things on track, oh, and proofread alouds. Proofread alouds for all feature articles, but not hacks. Um, Until I can get those four things happening on a regular basis, I cannot consider any other projects or any other work. And I also am going to be really, really careful about promise making any promises in stone right now, because I tend to promise very aggressive deadlines fail to meet them because they were overly aggressive and then end up um, hating myself over it, which is not super healthy. 
So I need to be a little bit more careful about the deadlines I promise and focus on, you know, building the workflow back up and, you know, getting to those benchmarks um, without making too many loud promises. But at the same time, holding myself accountable and leaning on members of the community who have volunteered to help me through this time, for which I am extremely grateful, leaning on them to keep me accountable and not let me blow them off as soon as uh, like things get a little bit difficult and say, don't hold me accountable anymore. I just failed. I'm done. So anyway. Anyway, with that, on that happy note, let's move on to some Q&A. I do have a couple of questions left in the queue, and it looked, my clock says I have about 20 minutes left. I am not sure what the Proselys clock says. Proselys, the producer, and Dapper Metroid, and broom wielder, and accountability supporter. Um, but I'm just going to start answering, and I will wait for Proselys to tell me how much time I actually have. Uh, Logic Dragon would like to know, how do you design adventures taking place in a city? A nice quick question that I can just briefly answer. And that, that's actually why I, I uh, threw some shade at Logic at the beginning of this. Because I saw that question and I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to answer that in the, in the Q&A? I mean, I can, like, 30,000 foot overview is about all I can do. And as soon as I say that, I end up saying this, basically the same thing I would say for designing adventures anywhere. And of course, um, sometime later in the year, after I get through True, true Campaign Managery, I have promised that I am going to write a rather long series on adventure design. Um, so you can expect me to expound on this more, but obviously, um, look, the key to writing, the key to designing an okay, stop for a second and forget the whole taking place in a city, because the setting does not matter nearly as much as you think it does. The setting only becomes important after you've laid some of the basic groundwork. And I will explain exactly what I mean here when I say that. Okay, so ostensibly, when you design an adventure, the first thing you do is you set a goal for the adventure. In this adventure, the heroes are tasked with doing what? Or in this adventure, the heroes must do this, or the heroes must accomplish that, okay? An adventure has to have a goal, because remember when you're designing an adventure, what you're really doing is designing a game. Dungeons & Dragons is not a game. Pathfinder is not a game. Blades in the Dark is not a game. Um, in, in fact, Blades in the Dark is not a game even after you designed an adventure for it. Ooh, burn. But um, anyway. Role-playing games are not games. They are engines in which you design games. The adventure you're designing is actually the game, which means you have to first establish a goal. Without a goal, you don't have a game, okay? Once you have the goal, you then have to figure out, um, because a game has rules, and obviously the rules come from the rule, mostly from the rules of the system, and the game has 
moves that the players can make and things that the players can do in order to accomplish the goal, and it has obstacles they encounter between them and the goals, right? The difference between designing an adventure in a city and designing an adventure in a dungeon is, number one, the kinds of obstacles the players will encounter. Whereas in a dungeon, the players will encounter rooms filled with monsters and traps and obstacles and hazards. In a city, the players will encounter very different things. They will encounter um, things they have to investigate, scenes where they have to gather information. Um, the players will encounter people they have to interact with socially. And in addition, the players will have to operate in under constraints that they don't necessarily have to operate in in the dungeon. So, for example, while in the dungeon, if you come upon someone that you do not particularly care for and want them out of your way, you can merely slaughter them. In the city, you generally can't do that. So the, the types of challenges in the city are different and the constraints on the players are different. But... Once you realize that, you also realize that you're not doing anything different than you design a dungeon. It's just that when you sit down and you design your encounters in the city, you have to be cognizant of the fact that it is a city, so you are placing different challenges there, and you are you, there are constraints that are imposed on the players that aren't imposed on them in the dungeon. Um, in addition... You also have to understand the structure of the adventure is going to be different. Whereas in a dungeon, and this is where the constraints and the unconstrained switch. In a dungeon, the player's movements are constrained. It is a closed environment. They can only move from place to place where there are hallways and doors. Whereas in the city, the city is an open world adventure. Right? So the players can pretty much go anywhere they want. The whole city is accessible to them. So now you basically, when you build the adventure, you have to figure out how to draw lines between the locations that serve as hallways so the players know where they can go. Because, you know, like in theory, they can go anywhere in the city. But in practice, if they go someplace that has nothing to do with the adventure or they go someplace you are unprepared to deal with, um, then they are just wasting time, wasting game time, and getting frustrated. And there is no way for them to separate the 10,000 locations in the city into the places that are useful to go and the places that are not useful to go. So that is where you start creating what are basically soft hallways, what you might think of as leads, indicators that the players can go, you, you know, might want to go to this location or that location or whatever, or speak to this person or that person. But then you can also keep in mind that the locations in a city um, un aren't just rooms in the dungeon that lie at the end of hallways, that you can also make them more, uh, I'm trying, they're, they're more nebulous, okay? So you can have a lead that suggests 
that the players need information about people who sell poison. And then with the understanding that in a city, the players can think of locations they might go to or might already know of locations where they can find a person who sells poison, or if not, they have certain actions they can take, like asking around in the right neighborhood um, so that they can find a person that has that knows something about poison, and then they can have an encounter with the poison seller to get the information they need that will then lead them somewhere else, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so... It's it's this sort of thing, it, writing an adventure in a city is writing an adventure and then knowing how it being in a city changes some of the rules, removes certain constraints, add, adds other constraints, and gives the players options that they don't have in the dungeon. Now, one of the problems with this is that a lot of tabletop role-playing games, especially Dungeons & Dragons, are really thin in terms of what players can do in the city. But then again, they're also really thin on what players can do in the wilderness and even what players can do in the dungeon. And by that I mean the players don't have a lot of rules, a lot of you know, guidance for in the wilderness you know, how do they travel from place to place? You know, what is, how do they take an, a, an action that moves them from point A to point B? Or if they know there's a location that they, somewhere in the vicinity of where they are, how do they search it out in the wilderness? Okay, these things need to be designed in the games and most games don't define them. Likewise, how do players consult the rumor mill? How do players conduct research? These are actions that should be available to them in the city. And you can sort of think like if this was a board game and the players, you know, you have a hand of cards that has specific actions in it because you're a player, but there's also some generic actions that always exist on the board. The game D&D lacks those generic actions of these are the sorts of things you can always do in a city. Um, so you would also want to think about that and then think about how you give a strategy guide to your players to teach them how to play a city adventure. Okay. King of Beasts, will you be having a Slapdash live chat this month? I am hesitant to make any specific promises as to deadlines or anything that is not the list of those four items that I have already stated. So while working on Slapdash and getting a publishable Slapdash is absolutely a top priority, um, taking the, the time to do live chats about it, much less priority. So I'm not gonna commit to that, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not saying it won't happen. If I have some free time, I will definitely do it because I love doing it, but I'd much rather be working on the game for two hours than spending two hours talking about it. Okay, Mystic Lemur, are you planning the tension dice revised rules as the next hack? I know you said a lot, yada, yada, yada. Okay, I do not want to make any specific promises again, I, but in this case, 
The first angry hack I publish will be Tension Dice. I want it to be published by the end of this month. If, um, you know, if it rolls forward, you, you know, there will not be any angry hack until it's the Tension Dice angry hack. And, you know, and it, it is... What I'm trying to do with the with the tension dice revised rules is not really simply design the rules, and um, but I'm also building a format and a basically I'm actually publishing a rules document of the type that you would purchase on Drive Through RPG. Like if you go to Drive Through RPG and you looked up crafting rules, you'll find somebody's crafting system, and they will have this nice published-looking PDF that looks like something you pulled out of a rule book. That's what I'm trying to do with the tension dice. It's not just the design of the rules; it's that I'm actually trying to lay the groundwork for how all angry hacks will be put together and published. Um, and also, that rule book also has to be final enough. Um, that I can then, you know, actually custom make the dice and sell them to those who want them. Okay. Jin Beifang is asking, any media you've consumed recently you would recommend? Well, let's see. I recommend SNES Drunk's YouTube channel, obviously, and I recommend the board game Heat Pedal to the Metal, and I recommend that you check out a Link to the Past randomizer, um, or not the, I, I recommend you check out the official definitive Link to the Past randomizer site. Um, but let's see, what else? What have I done or played or watched recently? Oh, okay, so here's an interesting thing. Um, I finally started watching... Stargate SG-1. I finally got around to it. It's something that actually O-Dog has been leaning on me for a long time to check out. I just, I was never a Stargate fan, um, uh, but I re-watched the movie um, two weekends ago, and then, um, and then I decided to watch SG-1, um, and I watched the first, I've now watched the first three episodes. Um, it's so far just having watched three episodes in the movie. Uh, I, I love the movie, by the way, Stargate wasn't, is an awesome movie. One that, um, I had not watched in many years. One of the things I found odd though, going to SG one. Um, and I think once before I watched the pilot and ran into the same issue in the movie, the language barrier was a huge plot point, which is why they ended up bringing Daniel Jackson along. Dr. Jackson was the one who could translate the, the, um, the language of the Chalupans or whatever the, Chapala, I cannot remember what they gave the name of the planet. Um, the, 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 anyway, he was the only one who could translate and he had to figure out how to speak the language because it was an ancient written language and it had evolved and changed and had been written in completely and he'd never heard it pronounced. So he gradually had to figure out the language. In Stargate SG-1, in the pilot episode, they go through the Stargate to another different world um, that is peopled by a, a different race of ancient humans. Um... 
Uh, okay, I'm I'm getting a five minute warning, but I'm gonna at least finish the. Okay, Proselys, you're you're off duty as producer anyway. I'm sorry that you got distracted. Uh, but uh, if if somebody could help me out and quickly, I just rattled off a list of three or four things that I absolutely want to make sure that I put links about in the show notes. If somebody could quickly write those things down. Um, or type them up or whatever and direct message them to me um, because they're not all on my bullet points. But anyway, so in the first episode, they and I'm just going to, there's no producer, I'm just going to go for a while. So if anybody wants to ask any other questions or make any other comments, um, go ahead and type them in because apparently now all, you know, it's no holds barred, um, you, know, you know, everything goes. But anywho, yes, it's a free-for-all. Ask all the questions you've ever wanted to know. Ask about anything. Ask my opinion of the infield fly rule. Ask why I think particle physics is a load, is a load of BS. Um, go ahead. Ask me anything. It's all good. Uh, so anyway. Uh, so one of the things that... So the pilot episode of Stargate SG-1, it does start by making the language barrier a thing... And then all of the sudden, partway through, everybody just understands everybody and everybody's speaking English. And that's it. That was the end of that plot point. And it struck me as so weird, given how much of a plot point it had been in the movie and how they had started off with it being a plot point and then it was just suddenly dispensed with um, and... Uh, hey, somebody somebody tell Ralphius how to use the, the Q&A thread or else the questions don't get answered. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's it. Uh, as Stargate SG-1, uh, anything else? Uh, oh, I'm also, I'm finally reading, rereading or reading there. I have started reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, which... I cannot remember if I ever finished. Um, I do know I have, I, I definitely finished Fellowship of the Ring um, many years ago, and I think I finished The Two Towers. I don't remember if I ever read all of them, but I finally decided that I was going to conquer them. I do love them, okay? Um, I, I know it is very popular now in geekdom to shit all over Lord of the Rings, um, because, well, gamers are pretentious jerks. Um, but the Lord of the Rings, they are d excellent books. And um, I just, I don't think I ever finished them, and it's been years, so I finally decided I'm doing that. So do that also. Read the Lord of the Rings. Fantastic. Okay. Mystic Lemur, which of the original series Power Rangers was your favorite? Ooh. Ooh, this is a painful question because I, you know, she had a very tragic end and this is sad, but I had such a crush on Trini the Yellow Ranger. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, that's, that's as far as I'm going with that. Um, Jorkon the D8, how is Biscuit? Biscuit is doing wonderfully. Um, Biscuit is, she's having a grand old time. She is, 
She is playful. She is affectionate until she gets violent. She is a typical kitty. Um, every and she is in good health. She actually just had a doctor's appointment. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Mystic Lemur. <laughs> so much for a fun, lighthearted question. I know, I know, it, you know, but no. Anywho, so Bis Biscuit is doing great. Biscuit sends her her well, not love because she's a cat. She's not capable of of loving people. Um, and she doesn't really care for strangers, um, but, you know, she's doing good. Uh, Kaladrev, if you like heat pedal to the metal, you might check out Gaslands Refueled. Okay. I don't know it. Um, but also, okay. Okay, yeah, that's, I, I will look into that. I was I was gonna make a comment that I realized it was just gonna be a snippy joke, and then I realized that it was just gonna completely crap all over you just being nice and offering me a suggestion for a game I might like, and I was gonna take a chance and make a sarcastic joke out of it, and that's kind of a jerk ass thing to do. So I'm gonna back off and apologize and just say thanks for the recommendation. I love hearing about games I might like based on other games that I have discovered I like. Okay, any other questions? Um, Ralphius didn't put his question in the Q&A thread, and even though I can see it, it's right there. I'm looking right at it. Nonetheless, I can't answer it because it's not in the thread. The thread is locked for you? How is that possible? Is the thread locked for anybody? Did I lock the thread by accident? Oh. Okay. All right. Uh, this Will Slapdash have updated rules around chases? The article I wrote on it completely changed the energy of the campaign for me. Okay. Uh, number one, I do hesitate to talk about Slapdash in the mostly monthly live chat, but since I'm not published, promising a, uh, a Slapdash live chat this month, I will answer this one question, but then I will also declare Slapdash an off-limit topic uh, for future Q&As. I got to point out also, if you don't get a question in the Q&A thread, uh, as soon as I run out of questions to answer, I'm going to call the call this a night. So if you want to keep me talking, um, then quick throw questions my way. Um, but so... I, uh, that's a tough one. Slapdash will not have rules specifically for running chase scenes. And that is because philosophically speaking, I no longer believe chase rules are good for role-playing games. I have seen a number of role-playing games that have specific rules specifically for chases, these little chase mini games. And I think Savage Worlds is like the most offensive one I have ever seen. It is the most ridiculously mini gamey thing. Okay, and even the article I wrote was basically me designing a chase mini game. Now, eventually, I gradually eroded away all of the mini-gamey crap 
and came up with a few simple tools that a GM could use to very effectively run a chase sequence. The most important one of which, by the way, um, if you'll remember, like the original chase rules, it was kind of based around, um, uh, you know, this, this idea of like positional tracking and shit like that. And all of that can now be handled with the universal mechanic that I introduced called the whatever stat. And the whatever stat is actually a, one of several very simple GMing tools that GMs can use to monitor progress in an encounter. Um, and then the rest of the encounter is just built around, you, you know, uh, basically the, the gaming conversation. So no, it will not have specific rules specifically for chase mini games. And if you, I would, that is not an article that I would even write today. Uh, in fact, I really, now that I've been reminded that it exists, I kind of want to go erase it from my lexicon because it is part of a game design philosophy I no longer specifically believe in. The underlying conceptual framework was good, and I'm glad that it changed the energy of your game, and I assume it changed the energy of your game because you recognize the underlying framework, but the mini-gamey nature of it is something that I would no longer do. Okay. That's probably not the answer you were expecting. Somebody asked me a question. Lighthearted questions, anything at all. Anybody want to know anything? Stuffed peppers. I had stuffed peppers for dinner. I made them over the weekend. I could talk more about designing adventures in cities, but I don't really know what else to say on top of what I already said. I actually kind of think that, you know, for spitballing for seven minutes, that was a pretty good answer, all things considered. Not to toot my own horn, but here it is, toot toot. Okay, I do have a couple of people typing. What's your favorite fantasy class for adventurers? Paladin or cleric? Next. I love the divine classes. Um... Always have. Uh, whenever whenever I get to sit down, uh, whenever I sit down and play like a video game where I get to pick a class, it's all I always gravitate toward um, either the paladin or the cleric. Um, and if those are not available, uh, give me a, a melee fighter. Okay, those, those are the top three. Paladin, cleric, melee fighter, in that order. Okay, Kaladrev, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Okay, um, yeah, let's see. Just a straight up scoop of ice cream. Um, I will give you, let's see, in my top five, uh, you will find cookies and cream and Rocky Road. Um, however... I want to call out here in my hometown of Manitowoc, Wisconsin, we have this old timey ice cream parlor slash candy shop that has existed here for forever called Bernstein's. Though, if you look at the sign and glance at it quickly, you would think it's called Bernstein's. But if you actually read it carefully, it's Bernstein's. Anyway, they make an ice cream sundae called a salty and sweet. And it, it is a, they also use custard based ice cream, um, which is amazing. It's, a, it's so much better than just like cream based ice cream. But anyway, so they make this, this Sunday called the salty and sweet, which is vanilla ice cream. 
um, with mini pretzel, you know, like broken up mini pretzel sprinkled on top, um, a thick, gooey, made-in-store caramel sauce, and sprinkled with sea salt. It is wonderful by itself, but the absolute pinnacle of ice cream experience is to order that and ask them to use butter pecan ice cream in the salty and sweet. Okay, so favorite, like straight up ice cream flavors, you've got that, but scoop of butter pecan ice cream, um, thick gooey caramel, sea salt, and pretzels on top. There you go. Dragon's Vow, have you read any of Sanderson's works? I have. I have read too many of Sanderson's works because I read enough of them to learn that I hated them. Okay, so um, I tried to read the Mistborn series and I found it in, I found, like I could not get through the first book. The first book was insufferable. Okay, um, and the whole hard magic system that he likes to interrupt his book to write essays about metallurgy. Um, yeah, no, thank you. Um, but also the character, his specifically his female teenage characters are all insufferable. I don't know why. And this is not a, a dig at certain genders or anything else because he writes other male and female characters that are fine and he writes uh, other male characters that I hate. But every time there is a teenage female, she is insufferable and I just want to deck her. And so I gave up on Mistborn because one of the two primary characters is insufferable teenage female character. So... I then discovered the words of radiance, whatever, the, the, the other series. And I'm like, and I read the first book in the series, which I think was words of radiance. And I'm like, wow, I like all of the, the characters. Um, I like the world. Um, he's not to, he doesn't go into the magic and there's none of this bullshit magic as quantum physics nonsense, um, that is shot through his other books and then got to book two and suddenly things started to shift. And by book three, I realized that either this is this is basically the same Sanderson hard magic essay quantum physics metallurgy bullshit. And then they introduced an insufferable teenage, female teenage character. And that was it. So I think partway through book three, I'm like, screw this. And I gave up, which is a shame because I was in love with those first two books. But Sanderson... He's terrible. I hate him. Okay. Favorite pizza, New York. Okay. They're and from New York. There is only one kind of pizza. Okay. And that is a New York pizza from a New York pizzeria. Okay. Um, and specifically when I say that, I mean that that's, that's, you know, there's not types of pizza in New York. Actually there are, cause you can get a Sicilian pizza, which is the big thick, 
crust rectangular one, which is also okay if you're into that sort of thing. But, you know, I just like a normal New York pizza pie. And then really it doesn't matter what toppings you put on it. Um, uh, also, just to be clear, uh, chain pizza places like Domino's and Little Caesars and all the rest of them and Papa John's and Marco's and all those other ones, they do not serve pizza. They serve pizza-like food. They serve pizza in the same way that Cheese Whiz, C-H-E-E-Z, is cheese. Okay? Let's see. Noited. Red sauce or white sauce? Red. Okay. Anyway, New York pizza is great, but don't discount Neapolitan. Uh, New York pizza is the best. Best means nothing better. Okay, so you could say that there are other things, but I've already identified the best. There's no point in talking about other kinds. I was asked which is the best. I mean, uh, technically I was asked which is my favorite, but I, as a rule, I only like the best things. So, you know, I just find it's easier. To, like, why would you something be your favorite that you that isn't the best? Um, oh, wait. <laughs> so call back to the whole Metroid Prime Echoes thing. <laughs> My favorite game, which is objectively not the best uh, Metroid Prime game. So anyway. All right. So, look, I'm out of questions. I'm at uh, an hour and 12 minutes in. Proselys came back um, to discover I'm still yammering away. Great, great Kate is typing, and I, I, whatever follow up there is going to be to that st statement, just stop typing. There's no point. The subject of pizza like food. Oh, okay. The subject of pizza-like food reminds me of how bad bikes are sometimes sometimes called bicycle-shaped objects by cyclists. Okay, but the difference is I am just a normal human who has normal correct opinions on pizza, whereas cyclists are pretentious hipsters and their sneering terminology for anything that they don't personally approve of can be discounted as sneering hipster snobbishness okay there we go now now i've taken dug at cyclists too all right look at that i'm done listen thanks everybody who came by to hang out tonight thank you for asking me questions even ridiculous questions um and uh Thanks in general. Yes, cycling is fun. Great Kate is saying, but cycling is fun. I'm not saying that bicycling isn't fun. I enjoy bicycling. It's one of my very favorite out time. It's one of my, it's like in my top five outdoor activities is bicycling. Okay. I like bicycling. I don't like people who identify as cyclists. Okay. Then again, do keep in mind that I love role-playing games. I also intensely dislike people who identify as gamers. Anyway, and with that said, all you gamers, thank you so much for hanging out, listening, supporting, reading my work. Thank you for your continuing and ongoing patience as I recover from things. 
and I promise that I am working hard to make good on my promises. And I hope that just by telling you where, where my priorities are and keeping myself accountable and making sure that I'm putting out status updates, you can see that I am absolutely serious about just getting myself back on track. And I appreciate the sympathy that everybody has offered me um, as things have proven to be a lot harder than I thought they would be. And it's hard not to even be ashamed of saying that, but here we are. So thank you, everybody. I will talk to you again next month. I will have an article out for you this week and then another one next week and then another one the week after. And there will be another, another one floating around somewhere in there to make up for the one that didn't happen last week. Um, and that's it. All right. Everybody have a good night. And I have nothing to follow that with. I really need to think through where my sentence is going before I insert conjunctions.